All right. Thanks, folks, for uh, tuning in. Uh, this is Colin Schatz. I'm Seth Partnow. Uh, with me today, uh, returning guest, uh, my good friends, colleague, coworker, um, screen setter extraordinaire, uh, Eric Name of The Athletic, uh, is here to talk about a number of different things. Eric, how are you? Uh, I'm great. Uh, having a great day. Um, how about you? Pretty good. Um, my day started with, I think, part of the reason why your day has been pretty great so far is you uh, you dropped this year's edition of what is always uh, among my favorite articles of the year. Uh, you had a, a piece on on how does holiday defense today on The Athletic. And for those that are subscribers, I would, I would advise you as soon as we're done to go read it. If those of you aren't subscribers, sign up just to read it. It's, it's, it's great. Um, these, are, these are my favorite because... Defense, NBA defense is really hard, and you get a much better sense of everything that goes into it when you hear a really good defensive player talk about the things that they're doing. And uh, for whatever reason, you have been successful at getting people to talk to you about that. Um, yeah, I mean, it's... I was telling someone this earlier today, and they like didn't really believe me, but I, I view it as terrifying every time I do it. Um because I am not an NBA level athlete. Um, Like if you're starting to talk about Drew Holiday and why he's a great defender, um, I don't know, all world athleticism. Like he's the strongest dude, the quickest dude, like the smartest, like he's all these things that like, I'm going into the conversation thinking, I'm going to ask you a question and you're going to think, oh my God, this guy's an idiot. Like he has, he has, this is where we are. Like this is the low level question you have for me. Like you can't even comprehend something higher than this. So I always go into those stories like terrified, um, which is why like this one, I spent the entire year doing it. I spent the entire year talking to people and being like, okay, tell me what you think is good about Drew Holiday and why you think Drew Holiday is good. And then maybe I will feel like prepared enough to go into a room with Drew with clips I've put on my computer that make him look good. And what if I get in and he's like, that's just normal. Or don't you pick those plays? Like I did way cooler stuff. Why didn't you grab these other plays? Like it, it is literally just the most terrifying exercise to me every year. But your first point is why I like it so much. Like I think it's very, I don't want to say it's very easy, but like, I do think it's easier to pick up the subtleties of pick and roll offense and, you know, how you might manipulate help defenders or, you know, a short roll to the basket or all the all the different things on offense. I think you can pick up pretty easily. Defense is much harder, which is why it, you said, like, you know, this is my favorite, like, annual piece. And that's why it is, like, a, I do try to do, like, one of these yearly where it's like, okay, what is something on defense I'm fascinated by and how can I learn more about it and who can help me do it? And I just work and work and work to hopefully be prepared and not sound dumb when I talk to this person uh, about whatever it is that they're doing. And and it's like a, a super fun challenge for me because I guess I'm probably a bit of a sicko. Um, but that's just like what I find fun and intriguing and interesting about this job is like, how do I explain what is often unexplainable? And 
I I feel good about how this came out. Like there's some things I would have done like differently or like thought through and maybe focused on different plays, but like whatever. It like came together and and Drew had a good time and didn't think I was an idiot when we talked. So that's that more than anything is like the the biggest goal. Sure. I so I think I mean, one thing you said there is, is you know, okay, the athleticism. That's sort of table stakes, though. I mean, there's a lot of guys. You know, we do this. We do this every year in like draft prep. It's like a, a guy who is like D with long arms. Oh, great defensive tools, and then you know they become <laughs> right. you know Andrew Wiggins, who's you know at, at eight years into his career has become a pretty good, but certainly not elite defender. Um, so there is something other than just those like. There is like the the recognition, the thought process, and that's the that's the interesting part. Now there are some, you know, I've there, there have been similar stuff done. I remember like Tony Allen's like, how do you avoid getting screened? He's like, I just don't get screened. It's like, okay, well that's okay. That's so you're a savant basically. But right from like a a lot of players, and and I think you're lucky enough that these players who can verbalize the things that they're seeing and doing. Obviously, Drew is a is a good talker. Uh, uh, Brooke Lopez is a voluminous talker. Um, so th- <laughs> yeah. those are good subjects to to get to sort of expound upon, not just like the physical tools that allow them to do the things, but the the recognition and the sort of the instantaneous processing that allows for those tools to be brought to bear in a in a game changing way. And I'd be lying if I didn't say like I go into these conversations trying to like prove my my bona fides like and just like be like because I tried this with Eric Bledsoe in my first year at the athletic and it was like eh, it was okay but essentially like Bledsoe was very good at not getting screened so I was like hey you know you don't get screened um like, can you like kind of take me through this and I had a couple clips and he's just like I'm just a dog like that's what I'm going to do. And I was like, okay, yeah, I understand that. But like, there are a lot of people that have effort and try. And then, you know, he explained like, okay, you have this clip of Damian Lillard. Tell me what he's going to do before the play starts. Okay. It's probably gonna be a step back in this direction. And then like, that's when my brain started to process like, okay, like even if that person does think that like, Hey, I, I'm just have like, I just have a God given skill or I'm just quick enough or fast enough or strong enough or whatever. Like there is some mental cognition, like there's something else going on. Like there is always like that next level. And then like, eventually I got to a spot with blood where I was like, okay, so you're thinking about tendencies and you know, you're going to try to play this way or that way. And then you're going to take this step in this direction to make sure that you can avoid this. And like, there's always something there, or at least that's what I've found in, uh, where even, like, the guys that don't think that there's something there, that, like, if you can explain to them how um, unathletic you are or how amazing it is what they do, then they're, like, still willing to talk about it and explain it. Like, even if they didn't think that there was something cool there, I can be like, no, you took two steps in a quarter of a second and you managed to avoid this thing. Like, that's amazing. That's mind-blowing. And then, like, you can kind of get to a level where guys, even ones that don't think they're doing something incredible or amazing or whatever, like, tend to understand, like, hey, this is how this works. But, yeah, um, I was scared going into this Drew one because Brooke was like, you're screwed. I I literally told Brooke at the start of the year, I was like, hey, I want to do this with Drew. Like, you remember that story we did? He's like, yeah. 
but Drew's not going to be able to tell you anything. Like, Drew Holiday just does Drew Holiday shit because that's who Drew, like, Drew Holiday is. Like, that, there's no explaining the unexplainable. And I was like, okay. Uh, and I honestly, like, to start our conversation, I told Drew that. I was like, hey, um, so I did this a couple years ago with Drew, and or I did this a couple years with Brooke, and I told him I was going to do it with you, and he said I was screwed. And Drew's like, what? What, 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 like, what? what do you mean? And I was like, well, you know, Brooke explained, like, hey, I'm Brooke Lopez, I'm seven feet tall, I'm, like, a bigger guy, I need these tricks. Like, I need to figure out how to two nine and how to clear and how to cleanse and, like, how to essentially like cheat the rule book to make sure that I'm good at this. Drew Holiday is the most incredible athlete I've ever seen. Like he doesn't need tricks. And Drew's like, okay, well that's very nice of Brooke to say, but like there is some other stuff <laughs> that I'm doing. And I was like, okay, well cool. Like let's watch some clips and see if it's like there. Uh, but it was just funny that like Brooke was a hundred percent sure I was screwed. He was just like, no man, like it's not going to work. Uh, and I'm happy like that it did, but you're right. Like there are just guys that just do things and they don't want to try to explain like how it, how it kind of goes. Right. No, it's interesting that, that, that Brooke like describes him as, as like, that's almost a different kind of athleticism we're talking about. It's, it's a weird combination, weird uh, comparison, but that's like, it's more like the Steve Nash of sort of agility and, and processing speed and coordination than it is kind of the typical, you know, run jump, uh, change direction kind of stuff. Even though, like, uh, like sure. obviously, uh, on that level of athleticism, Javi, uh, Drew is is you know superior to 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 what what Nash had. But but beyond that, just like as you you point out in the story, just like the the the, the things that go together that that turn him into into such a such a uh, a pain to deal with. Um, the one you know you did all the, the the interviews you did with other players and coaches. The one that stuck out to me was was Andre Iguodala, or not just not not Andre Iguodala, but like Drew talking about Andre Iguodala, um, just <laughs> like the the admonishment to stay solid, because that's you know when I mean you know that I've been a huge draw as long, and you know the thing that that always stood out to me was how sort of. You know, a lot of a lot of great defenders are very noisy with their body, like they're moving <laughs> yeah. and they're kind of vibrating, and 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 there's 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 kind of a stillness with with Drew, just kind of like a coiled aspect to it. And I and that was like when when he talked about Iggy, like telling him to be solid, to not not bounce. It's like, yeah, that's like that's my mental image of him. I, um, it's like we were, I think, my last year with the Bucks, we were playing. New Orleans and they were not good. Um, and, but he, I think he just was eating, he was eating up whoever he was playing. He was, he was going against and just kind of like laying back and then springing and either, you know, taking <laughs> yeah. the ball or, or disrupting a player or whatever. Um, and that's, you know, and, and I think you, you, you kind of, you, you like, as you term it, the drew kind of captures that he's just sort of laying back and then no, that's mine. Yeah, and I, I mean, it, the explaining the Drew to him was fun because when I told him that he has a trademark defensive move, he was like, that's funny, I don't have that. And then, like, as I explained it, we end with him, like, very sheepishly being like, yeah, I guess I, 
you're right. Like, I, I guess I am kind of like the only one that does it. And like, I put it in the video of the Drew, but like, you can like barely hear the words coming out of his mouth. Like, he's like whispering it. Or he's like, yeah, I guess you're, you're kind of right. I kind of am the only one. And it was like, dude, like, you're the most incredible defender in the league. And you're like sheepish about the fact that you can do things that no one else can. Like, that's just hilarious. Uh, so like, once he got done with it, I, I had, I was like, I was like, yeah, man, you know, when I was talking to, to Charles Lee and like Darwin, like we didn't like we didn't have like a name for it. And and he was like, yeah, as soon as you said it, I was like, oh, I wonder if he's going to talk about this. And I was like, OK, well, that's good. Like, that means I like did my research. Like, I'm happy that uh, that you like kind of in your mind were like, yeah, maybe there is this thing that I do that nobody else does. Like, I was like, that's that's good to hear. Sure. So. Like, uh, for, like again, go go read the piece. It's it's great. Uh, a lot of video clips of of Drew kind of annotating what he's doing, which again, I, I think that's for for the people who say that like defense is all effort and no technique and whatever. Just the the, the number of different <laughs> topics he covers from you know from from hitting first, going over a screen. That's always been one of my favorite things to watch on off ball screens. Um mm-hmm. Clay Thompson, you know, before he had all the injuries was was I thought one of the best in the leagues at that. And Drew does it like on ball. Um but also just like his his him talking about leverage and defending larger players and just it's it's really just super well done. Um so kudos for that. Um thanks man. Um I mean I I had high expectations and they were they were met. Well, that, that's that that is very high praise and i appreciate it I, I had a good time writing it even though i was insanely stressed out the entire time i was putting it together but that's okay well i mean i mean i think the fact that people will agree to to do these pieces with you now probably speaks to to the fact that that the ones you've done so far have been have been good well yeah no you're probably right like i i guess i guess the fact that i can now say like hey i did this with this person that probably helps but uh makes it no less terrifying so i'm just happy it's done and people have enjoyed it speaking of terrifying uh playoffs start this is i mean the (laughs) the, uh i mean we we get a little bit of rest and the the play-in games do not really affect the bucks overly much possibly you know tenuously second round opponent kind of thing but now with a with you know almost a full week to get ready for uh, for for the postseason proper, um, gotta say that the that the way things shook out uh, worked out pretty well for 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 the Bucks in terms of their of their pathway through the Eastern Conference. Yeah, I mean it was it was really interesting. Um, we can go all the way inside baseball here. Um, I guess inside basketball, whatever you want to say. Uh, I decided not to go to the Bucks uh, game in Detroit, so that was a back to back. After their Thursday game uh, against the Celtics, and I didn't go because I had seen the previous Friday, the Bucks sat everybody out, or essentially everybody out on the second night of a back-to-back, and I was like, oh, surely they'll do the same thing again. They got a game to kind of mess around with uh, now that they have this situation with the Celtics. Like, okay, like that's that's kind of how they'll they'll handle it, and uh, they did not. They brought all of their guys out. And, uh, after the game, Giannis was very upset that I wasn't in Detroit and wasn't on, was on zoom instead, uh, immediately just belittled me for taking a night off. And I said, well, you know, I thought you were going to take the night off. 
Uh, and he told me he doesn't take nights off, which that did not end up being true, Seth. Um, because <laughs> he he did take a night off, uh, I guess technically an evening or an afternoon off in Cleveland in that last game. But to the Bucks' credit, I thought it was like a pretty nice bit of gamesmanship as far as like they got to a spot where the Celtics had a choice. Either we win and take the two, or we lose and risk the possibility of going all the way down to four. Because if the if the Sixers won and the Celtics lost, they were going to go all the way down to four. And I know today it's everyone talking about the Bucks. They ducked, uh, they ducked whoever. And, I mean, that's all well and good. Um, but I'd be very curious with a Celtics team that... Um, did not uh, approach winning the most aggressively in the last few weeks um, with sitting out players. I wonder if there was no threat of them possibly going to Toronto where they would possibly have players that could or could not play in the first round if they would have decided to beat that Grizzlies team or if they would have said, you know what, we're going to sit everybody out, and if we happen to lose to the Grizzlies, we happen to lose to the Grizzlies. It would have been a tough task. The Grizzlies the Grizzlies had eight guys out, um, but it, it has been funny to watch how it is only the Bucks that are ducking because the D- Bucks put themselves in the best spot to duck and get to the spot that they wanted, while the other teams did not do that. Um, when in reality, everyone was ducking everyone for the last two weeks like every, everyone's been sending people out but yeah the bucks are in a good spot they play the bulls the bulls uh, don't stand a chance against the bucks like maybe this will get clipped at some point and i will be the laughing stock of chicago um maybe that will happen but it seems incredibly unlikely the bucks swept the bulls in the in the regular season series and i don't know who covers Giannis. um and i guess for that matter i don't know who covers drew or maybe even Chris. Um, so, yeah, I, I, mean, I don't. No, I don't I mean, think the no Bulls Lonzo of sort of. Yeah. No Lonzo kind of takes a lot of. I mean, the Bulls are not a deep team, and you take their, yeah. you know, one of their their two legit perimeter defenders out, and then yeah. Um, no, I don't. I, so I don't think that you know we everyone's talking about ducking. I don't think that that anyone. I I think that it was complicated enough that I think teams mostly just approached it like. Hey, let's get our guys rest. Let's yep. let's you know let's be peaking physically, and if and and if it happens to work out a certain way, that's great. Um, like there's there's some I, I think that you know to make it through to to win the finals, you have to win for like duh. Uh, yeah, no, I mean there's no easy path. Like as much as everyone wants to discount rings after they've been won, but um, there's no easy path to the finals. But I mean, but I will say that you know like not playing Toronto uh, and n- having no chance of playing Brooklyn until at least the second round. Like would are are the, would the bucks be uh, a, a decent favorite over Brooklyn in a series? Yes. Is that, a, is that a, a riskier proposition than a normal first round series yes. for a top team? Yes. For so sure. if we're, if we're talking sort of combined probabilities, yep. like just like, you know, you, you know, you, Why not you can rather the de- You'd rather the dealer show a six than a than an ace. It's sort of, <laughs> right. you know, right. it's um, so yeah. So I think I mean I think that you know worked out well for them. And then frankly, like the path going through either 
um, of Brooklyn or Boston, given that, you know, that, that neither of those teams are remotely whole, um, is, uh, is another, you know, decent uh, bit of fortune. I mean, also the fact that they might not, well, they're not going to be in a world where they have to face both. Like, right. the, the thing that I've talked about throughout this entire season, um, last time I was on with you, we talked about it, um, I've talked about it in many other places, I've written about it in many other places, um, I didn't love the Serge Ibaka deal. Um, I, I think I was lower on it than maybe you, and certainly a number of other people that both you and I chat with. Like, I was pretty low on that deal. I, I didn't. I didn't really like it because... I thought big wing was the need, and I understand there wasn't a lot of big wings on the market, and there probably <laughs> there, wasn't there was one, out there. and 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 he wasn't an option for the Bucks. Like, like I think yeah. Tory Craig was the only one who, for sure, who, like who got traded, and and that I don't think that that was going to. I do not think uh, 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 they they were going to be reunited, for sure. So like I understand exactly what I'm saying, right? Like maybe that was like the only available option was, okay, let's go get some Brooke Lopez insurance. But to me, it was like, okay, who the hell is covering Kevin Durant? And I understand Kevin Durant's going to put 50 on whoever covers him because that's just what Kevin Durant does. But I would at least prefer for him to work as hard as possible for it. And then if you don't want to go down the Kevin Durant path, who the hell is going to cover Jason Tatum? And I think that's a caliber of wing as a scorer from a size perspective, from a shot-making perspective. But the Bucks just don't have someone to bother. Um, Wesley Matthews has really come on strong here after um, being in Los Angeles and doing God knows what with the Lakers because who knows really what the Lakers do. Um, uh, but, announce, the, announce coaching changes via Twitter. <laughs> yeah, I suppose um, that, that is one thing that they do. Yeah, we we can yeah. confirm that. I, and last. and you know, they're, they're, by the way, like if you're targeting a recent champion coach um, from an organization that is uh, pretty much one of the you know standards for professionalism in the NBA, um, this may <laughs> not be the best way of going about it. Just, just gonna throw that out there. Just you know, free. Free two cents. Um, yeah, no, that I don't know if you should give give away those uh, type of insights for free, Seth. Um, so I just think like if to me it was you got to find a big wing. Who can they cover? And to me, Wesley Matthews can hold up against Jimmy Butler, um, who he will have to cover if the Bucks get the Heat. Um, that's because of their time together at Marquette. That's because he kind of knows him. And that's because, like, I would say they're in similar weight classes. Um, you know, with the Bulls, DeRozan, I think Wesley Matthews can do just fine against DeRozan. Don't foul. He, again, it's like a wing that's in his weight class. To me, the two wings in the East that weren't in Wesley Matthews' weight class were Jason Tatum and Kevin Durant. And if you only have to face one of them, okay, that's that's better than having back-to-back series against those guys or, or one series in the first round and then another one in the third round. So... To me, I agree. Like the draw in the first round is is very good, and then I, I think even on top of that, the potential draw in the second and the third round uh, to get to the finals is better than than I thought. Maybe I even imagined a couple weeks ago. So yeah, I, I think for the Bucks, this is a very favorable uh, set of circumstances to to try to go out and defend this championship. So, where where are you in terms of of 
are you expecting finals or are are you what are, what worries you on the path? Um, I feel like last time we were here, um, I was was not very positive on their outlook in the postseason. Um, I, I would have to try to think back to how long ago we got together and did this. Maybe a month, month and a half ago. Um, I think it was like right after the trade deadline, which so, so, time time has no meaning anymore. So who knows? Month and a half ish sounds yeah. right. Um, I was not there. I, I thought they were probably a second round exit. I just thought the the toll of not having Brooke Lopez for the entire season and then a questionable version of Brook Lopez entering the fold was going to be too much for them to, to kind of handle and get through. Uh, and I gotta say, Brook Lopez looks pretty good. He, uh, he looks a lot better than I imagined Brook Lopez was going to look coming off of back surgery. Uh, and maybe that's just me doubting modern, modern medicine in a way that I shouldn't do. Um, but I just felt like a big dude getting back surgery at 33, 13 years in the league, probably not going to go that well. And, I got to say, for the most, Brook isn't all the way back. He doesn't look all the way like himself. And and I, as we talked about last time, that was a very imp- important part of their run was Brook Lopez punishing offensive mismatches on one end, getting to the front of the rim, uh, you know, flashing into space, hitting the offensive glass, and then protecting the rim on the defensive side. Um, so that was very important. And getting him back this year, like, in this version of him, it's not all the way, but, man, it's pretty good. Uh, and then when you look at the rest of the Eastern Conference, I don't know if there's, to me, a lot that should really, I don't know, strike a, a super fear into the Bucks' heart with with Robert Williams not in the, I, I mean, he, I guess he's in the Celtics' future run, but for now he's not there. Um, and we're going to talk about NBA, like, uh, balloting here in a little bit because i have a ballot that's due at 11 central time tonight um but to me he was the heart and soul of that celtics defense like he he was the engine that made it go and that's not to take anything away from marcus smart he's been fantastic but like that was robert williams like him being able to switch and just be a, a world destroyer is why they were they were kind of what they're that's what they're why they were doing what they were doing defensively. And without him there, like I don't know, do the Heat really scare the Bucks? I can't imagine they do. Maybe they should, but I don't think they do. And when you look at the rest of the East, like I, I think the Bucks feel pretty confident, and I think they probably should feel pretty confident because I think they're they're the best team. I think currently they're the betting favorites in Vegas for the team to represent the Eastern Conference, and and I think I totally understand why. Yeah, no, I think that that a number of things certainly have broken their way. Um, like, the, I think the Robert Williams uh, thing is the biggest one. Like, I was, you know, yeah. I, we've been talking about this on and off the air for a while. I'd been flirting with the Celtics for <laughs> yeah. for for months, and I was all the way there. And I think people were 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 kind of coming with me on that. And then, like as you say, one of their, you know, it's it sort of it, it it was sort of a team that they needed. Like, there were there were basically four irreplaceable parts on 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 that team and one of them is is down and right. you know who knows when and, and at what level of effectiveness uh Robert, he'll be back um exactly and it's one of those things given given his age it's also like how much do you want to mess with like rushing him back from a meniscus yeah for the first time like he was looking good and yeah. in like the shape that he needed to be yeah for sure yeah um so i know i think i i think that that them being the 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 
if not the if not if not uh, uh you know more than even money favorites i think being the 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 favorite to come out of the east is 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 probably fair um as you said i i don't really believe in the heat either i think for reasons we've talked about i don't I, th- their ability to put a coherent closing lineup on the floor still after the entire season has, has continues to worry me like either they can have shooting or they can have uh no weak spots on defense, but they can't have both. Right. It seems like it's a problem. Yeah. And, and I mean, this isn't to say that you and I don't both have pretty significant questions about the bucks. Um, because like, I think you and I have texted each other, the defensive rating for the bucks in various situations, uh, this season, whether it's post all-star break, fourth quarter, First half quarter, court. third quarter, half court. Like, no matter what defensive rating statistic and split you could find, Seth and I have texted it to each other at some point in the last two months. <laughs> like, like that, those are just, like, kind of, like, the facts of the situation. Uh, and that means, like, and typically it's with, like, the grimacing face emoji. Like, oh, this isn't good. Um, and, like, so I think there's plenty of questions about the Bucks. We haven't seen them perform, to me, at a high enough level defensively to, to, I think, go out there and really think like, oh, yeah, they're, they're going to get to the playoffs. Boom, flip the switch. It's on. It's over. Bucks are going through it. They may be able to do that. I'm not, I'm not trying to say that they can or can't. Uh, it's very difficult to figure out how switches work um, and whether or not teams can flip them uh, when they get to the <laughs> postseason. But... It could work, but it also couldn't. There's plenty of warning signs that this team just might not be good enough defensively uh, in the postseason, which you can outscore teams, but it's a perilous road. So we'll get back to that in a second. Uh, uh, Cupcakes has been uh, has been uh, commenting up a storm in, in, in the comments here, but he, he's got a question. So if, if you want to unmute and uh, and fire away. What's up, fellas? Eric, all these years uh, in the DMs asking you questions about <laughs> Yorgos Kalitzakis types. It's fine. It's nice to finally be on with you. Did you Absolutely. see? By the way, did you see his? You see his? Uh, his Shaq in a full moment from uh, last night. Oh, I did not. I'm worried now. Oh, he. Um, it's not uh, he 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 missed a breakaway dunk. Very badly. He somehow got like he somehow got hung by the rim and also threw the ball completely over the basket. You know, oh, you just man. you, you just got to focus on the good things. And you know, he had a nice steal um, to 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 get to that <laughs> to, put spot. Him, to put himself in. Well, the play, to... They played the poor guy like 48 minutes. It's that's uh, a lot of opportunity. Yeah. Um, anyway, my question was not going to be about Yorgos Kalzakis. First, something just more logistical. Um, I'm not seeing this anywhere, but avoiding having to get on and off an airplane at all in a series, I would think would be pretty beneficial. And I'm just curious, do they hop on 94 after the game and sleep on their own, in their own beds or do they stay down here? Um, Man, that's a great question. Um, I would guess they probably stay down there. Yeah, I think that's right. I think, I think that, but I do think that's a, that's a very good point uh, in terms of, um, you know, I'm not, I'm not an expert. I saw that, uh, that former, uh, uh, Bucks analyst for the sports science side, Mason Yar was in, was in the, uh, the, the, the room for a while, but he's not here. He could, he could talk to us about this more, but as I understand it, like, um, air travel is bad for, uh, swelling. Yes. And so like not having, um, you know, not asking Brooke Lopez to get on an airplane right after a game, 
a couple times is probably a good thing. And Giannis's knees and so, whatever else. So that's how I can explain the extra pounds that I carry during the season. Like I've just been <laughs> swelling up because I've been on so many flights. No, is, I think that... I think that's oh, I think okay. that's uh, that's NBA road eats is how we can explain <laughs> that there. <laughs> got it. Got it. Okay. You've got me onto some good stuff from from following along with that. Um, and then so my my second broader question is. You know, one of the joys of being a Bucks fan, at least in the Budenholzer era, is just how together the group seems. And I think, I think that you know, NBA fans can can we don't need the guys to be best friends. Like we're not under that illusion. But I think we can really tell when a group um, enjoys being around each other in the workplace. And with that said, all the effusive praise for Drew, and it's great to hear from Brooke. I'm curious, like, who on this Bucks roster is most competitive with one another? And maybe that's a healthy, you know, competitiveness. But I just I'm, – I'm curious, like, is there anyone who really goes at one another on this team? Um, so, Brooke is, like, the most unhealthily, co- like, competitive person I maybe I've ever covered. Like, every play – That includes Giannis. Yeah, yeah no, it, it does – um, I, I've never seen someone who, when he makes a mistake, immediately is like cursing himself out or cursing out someone that did something wrong or like he, that dude is just wired, which I, again is kind of surprising that he's survived as long as he has in drop defense because drop defense is like accepting the fact that sometimes you're not fully in control. Um, but like that dude is just. I mean, after after practice shooting drills, like obviously Bucks All Access and, and my guy Nick Monroe does like a nice job to to get you see like oh if Giannis wins like he jumps around and rubs it in everybody's face, but like Brooke is like the opposite. Like if he loses, he's like grumbling about it for like two minutes. <laughs> like don't go talk to Brooke because he's pissed off right now. Um, so I, I think he comes to mind. And then as far as going at each other, I don't think I mean. I don't think not at this point. I, so this is what I would say. I don't think it's ever left Chris and Giannis that they used to fight for a position. So like that is built on a very healthy competitive spirit. And I, Chris was talking to uh, Marcus Johnson about it a little bit when the Bucks had their like little podcast thing with uh, with Marcus and Chris the other week. Um, like that's where that's where their like friendship was formed was like those two and again I think this is maybe my favorite story I've ever written at the Athletic when Chris was going to his first All Star game like those two are built on mfing each other just screaming at each other and then a bloodied nineteen year old Giannis going to his first American apartment. And showing his parents scratches on his arms from this motherfucker Chris Middleton, like that, like that's what the, that's the foundation of the relationship. So I don't think they're often put in positions to go at each other anymore. But like that's to me like the foundation of this entire Bucks organization. And obviously in the Jason Kidd administration, it got unhealthy uh, as Jason decided to question. Um, who the best player on the team was and make them state it publicly in front of each other. That wasn't great um, or, or good for the, the chemistry, but I do think it's back into a healthy place. But though, like that's what those two guys are like built on. Yeah, I mean, the other, the other, 
that, those are great points. The other thing I did probably is if this is still the case or not is uh, bordering on unhealthy competition is uh, Giannis and, and, and Connaughton in the weight room. Yeah, for sure. But that's, you know, oh, although that's, that's, that's almost more just like bro-y swinging large objects around, you know, large, yeah. large I mean, amounts honestly, of weight around. Honestly, it would have been really interesting if Shemi Ojale stuck around the entire season because in the first week he was around, I heard and then confirmed with both Pat and Giannis that he was beating them in a number Ooh. of uh, lifts. And I was like, okay, that might like not be like those, like Pat and Giannis are going to get so big because they're just going to be trying to beat <laughs> Shemi. Like, yeah. God damn it, Shemi, stop. Like we got to get you off the team because these guys won't stop fucking lifting weights. Like get out of here. Good stuff. Appreciate it, fellas. Absolutely. Thanks a lot for the question. Uh, so, I mean, I'm, I'm glad we kind of touched on on sort of Giannis and and some of like, you know, the 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 growth and maturity. There's something that that struck me, and I don't think we've talked about this yet. But there's something that struck me uh, in the the overtime Brooklyn game um, a couple weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's how much to read into like one late season game. I don't know. I mean, it's it, it was the kind of game that made you like. Hey, the Bucks. The Bucks have a level, but also Brooklyn is probably not a team you wanna. You don't want any piece of. Right. But something that that struck me. Um, there's a little bit of Giannis having changed from being like a force of nature acting on the game to being someone who's in control of the game. Does that mm-hmm. make sense to you? What I'm saying, yeah. and do you agree with me? Um, so, while I was on Zoom getting belittled by Giannis the other night. Um, I asked him a question about this exact thing. Um, I feel like in the last month and a half, um, if you watch him get a touch at, let's say the left elbow, the left wing, um, that used to be a catch and go situation. That used to be, I'm getting downhill. The wall cannot get built. I'm going right now. That's force of nature stuff, right? In the last couple of months, this year, obviously, there's been, like, some pretty noticeable growth in his playmaking, which I wrote about earlier in the year when I had my first kind of one-on-one of the season with him. Um, But the one thing that you watched the other night, and again, this is against the Detroit Pistons. It doesn't, like, actually matter. Um, But will get to that, but yeah. (laughs) Like, on the left wing, Giannis grabs the ball, immediately gets a double team. That double team turns into a triple team. And he did what I can only describe as a, like a Jokic behavior. Where, Was this the highlight pass? Yeah. Where he just like, he accepted, he accepted the double and then he accepted the triple and he just put the ball up higher and he pivoted a couple times and then he whipped a ball as hard as he could at Chris Middleton and Middleton caught it and finished it. Um, but like the question I asked him after the game was, Hey, are you holding on to the ball longer now when you get double teamed? And he like looked at me and again, he's looking at me through a camera. So it's like not as dramatic as, as it could have been if it was in person, but he just goes, yeah, I think I am. I think I know what you're talking about. And then he like broke down that play. And that to me is like shaping the game, right? Like that is bending the game to your will as opposed to I'm going through the game because I'm a force of nature. 
and I do think there's there's a lot of it where Giannis is just more in control now. It's like this. It's an impressive piece of growth because um, you know he was he, he so much of what he's built on has been that that physical dominance, and now adding some more of the nuance to it is yep. is. Uh, um, about that pass, uh, was that ball thrown harder than, uh, than Eric Bledsoe whipping the ball at Embiid or the most violent act I've seen in years? <laughs> no <laughs> doubt about it. That's the most, the most violent, most act violent I've seen. the most violent assist I've seen in years. Budenholzer, he's gotta go. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Just all time stuff. All time stuff. Oh my goodness. Uh, uh, never stops being funny. Um, so you mentioned Detroit. It doesn't matter. This is the one. I mean, it's something that I think we both realized was true, but I hadn't, re- I hadn't run the numbers on it in a while. Um, the the Bucks have been, you know, their record is what it is, and you know, uh, this with the weirdness of the season, like fifty one wins is a nice total, but they've gotten pretty fat beating up on on bad teams. They're, um, I believe, they ended the season twenty and two against the teams in like the bottom third of the league. Mm-hmm. Um, with like a plus thirteen net rating or something like that. I don't. I don't have the exact numbers in front of me. But by a decent margin, like more than Phoenix, more than anybody, they just pounded the crap out of the bad teams. Yep. Which is has has been a hallmark of the Budenholzer era. Um, but they've been sort of middling against everybody else. Right. Um, and that's that would that would be at least a little bit of a worry in terms of of ramping up what they have against elite level competition. Now, the flip side is, okay, they didn't have their team for the whole year, which is sort of the, the round and round we go for, you know, any kind of statistical indicator from this, this season. But that, like, okay, there's, there's, you're not playing Detroit anymore. <laughs> like, they're done. You're, you're not going to see Sacramento. You're, so um, is, is that a little bit of a concern now that they at least, you know, even if you wanted to discount the Bulls a little bit, after that, it's going to be against teams that they've been just okay against this year. Yeah, I mean, they've had like an interesting relationship with good basketball teams this year um, because the Nets, they're 3-1 and one against the Nets. The Nets aren't a good basketball team, right? Like, if we're talking about the best teams, the, the Nets are in the plane. Like, that... That's like a fine team. It's not a great team. It's not the top of the top. And I just think throughout the season we've seen them really like turn it on against certain teams where they're like, okay, this is a good team. We should do it. But the teams that they've turned it on against weren't the teams that actually ended up being good. Um, where it's like, oh, we got to beat the Nets. We got to show the world that we can beat the Nets. Well, everybody beats the Nets. They're the they're in the plan. Um, so they're like not they're not that good. It's not impressive that you did it. Um so I, I think the data to me with the Bucks is just gonna be really hard to parse. I don't think they and as you said, it's really hard for a lot of teams this year. Um COVID did a number on this season where I don't know, there's what, like a month and a half of largely worthless data in the middle. Uh, I, I know you always have that graph that shows like exactly when it got out of control, but I think like a month and a half, right? Yeah, um, about six, six to eight weeks of, of, of interesting lineups and, you know, and um, 
not evenly distributed in terms of right. of, of both teams that had guys miss games, but also te- there are some teams that were more fortunate than others about you know catching te- catching opponents without their best guys. Yeah, so I, I don't. I, I think the data is going to be really hard to you know look at and be like, yeah, the Bucks are clearly deficient in this area. Um, the thing that you know that keeps happening is I tell the, any of them on the team as I do when I ask questions like, "Hey, here's my evidence for why I'm saying what I'm saying. Now explain why this is happening, and don't say the opposite of it." So I spent like the last two weeks being like, "Hey, since the All Star break, you guys are 20th in defensive rating. You guys are 22nd in defensive rating. You guys are 25th in defensive rating." what do you think is wrong with the defense and how concerned are you? And the answer for them has always been, yeah, we, we've been able to get stops when we feel like we need to get stops. And, you know, then they go into late game situations against the Celtics and they switch everything. Bobby Portis does a nice job on Jalen Brown on consecutive possessions and they get a stop. The obvious counter would be Jason Tatum didn't play. Okay. That's a good counter. Um, who knows anything about this season? So I think with them, the data is going to be really hard to extrapolate for a full season and get like meaningful conclusions. And we're going to see if what they've been kind of saying throughout the year that they're good enough to do this is actually true. Yeah, no, it's, uh, um, again, I'm, I'm the, the Robert Williams injury makes me sad because I think that would have been just a, a, a oh, pretty man. titanic It'd been so much fun. It'd been so much yeah. fun. Um, and then, you know, assuming that, assuming they do make it to the finals, uh, the rematch against, I, I'm just presuming the Suns. Um, I think that the, the Suns are just uh, better than, than the teams in the West. Um, so that's, I, I'm that, excited be to see, fun... I'm excited to see what the Grizzlies do in their first, like, real show. Um, yeah. I think sometimes teams in those situations surprise us just because we don't have any data and we don't know, like what they look like as a playoff team um as i think who, who I, wrote the who wrote the story about possessions james herbert right um how the grizzlies have kind of gamed the possession game uh this year and they just live in transition and getting in transition and you can't get them out of transition well let's see if that's actually true in the playoffs and if it is then uh, okay might not be great for them, but if they can, then all of a sudden maybe they have like an outlier performance that exceeds expectations. So I think they're just kind of like a wild card in the West. But yeah, I would agree overall. I think it's the Suns. I do think that, like, I mean, you say the first real show. I think the fact that it's not their first playoffs is is material. I'd agree in that. Like, so you know, so so I think that it's not. It would not be as sort of unprecedented as the Suns going all the way to the finals last year was in, in, in those terms. Um, so let's, let's, let's pivot away from specifically the box. And you, you mentioned that you had, uh, you have an awards ballot. Um, I've, I've sort of maintained and there's no danger of it ever happening that I wouldn't want a ballot. Cause mm-hmm. I just, it's, it's so weird that, that like that, that like compensation and, and stuff is, is, is based on these awards, but like people who do have them and and spend a lot of time on them make me feel like it's kind of okay, um, and, you know, um, so I just wanted to you know talk through like I'm not going to ask you to announce your ballot now because you still have about twelve hours to change your mind, um, so yeah. just you know I wanted to walk through kind of the uh, the, the award season with you and 
sure. and, and see where you're at, see where I'm at, and, and go from there. Okay, so um, I'll start at MVP. Start? I'll start at MVP. Yeah. Um, we're going to do a top three. Not that four and five don't matter, um, but I think there's a lot of picking and choosing on somewhat sub- somewhat subjective yeah. basis for who you're going to put in four or five. And it's not yeah. going to, it's not going to materially affect the actual race. Um, so Jokic, Giannis, Embiid, that is where I am for my top three. I think Jokic's season has been incredible. Um, I don't need to use advanced statistics. I'll just use all of the points, rebounds, and assist numbers that he has put up that no one else has ever put up. Um, I'll put up how well he compares to, Embiid and Giannis in all of those categories. Um, I understand that Embiid won a scoring title, but Jokic also has more assists. And I I just think Jokic has been incredible. And that team is... um, I I won't disparage them because they won 48 games this year, but they just don't have their guys. And the fact that Jokic on a nightly basis does what he does and then gets them into the spots that they are... Um, is pretty incredible, and I don't feel like we're all that far off the typical... um, I remember Giannis told me this in year four. He was like, you don't win an MVP unless you win 50 games. Like, that's that's kind of the rule. And they won 48 in a COVID season where their number two and number three players weren't playing. Um, That isn't that far off the standard. Uh, So for me, it's Jokic, and then... I think Giannis has been better than Embiid. The Bucks finished higher. Uh, I think Giannis is a better defensive player. Um, I, I don't... And again, maybe it's because I watch the guy every night, but I just don't think there's a guy more in control uh, of games on a nightly basis outside of Jokic uh, than Giannis. So Jokic, Giannis, Embiid, how do you feel about that? Um, I think... I think it, um, we'll start with it. I think Jokic is clearly one. Um, or I don't clearly is sort of uh, question begging, but for me, I don't think it's particularly close that Jokic is one. Then the discussion between Giannis and Embiid for for two and three is is you know right there. I think that at the trade deadline, I think obvi- I think it would have been Embiid. I think he was closer to one than he was three yeah. at the trade deadline. I think that almost through no fault of his own, like. The, the sort of the acquisition of James Harden has t- taken some of the luster off the season. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's it's not completely his fault, but they all of a sudden have become, especially kind of down the stretch of games where, you know, the first 50 whatever games of the season, like he wasn't just guy putting up numbers. He was also just like, you know, wringing wins out of close games. Yeah. Uh, at the, at the end, end of games, like there were, you know, there was, I, I forget it was in January or something. There was a night where like, he put up like Embiid scored forty some in like a, a national TV game, and the game ends just in time to switch over to league pass to the to the Nuggets game where like Jokic has his third or fourth like game saving block at the buzzer of the season. Right. Just to, like that was the, that was where we were. But you know they've gone from that to being kind of you know down the stretch at times kind of a James Harden team, which is unfortunate because James Harden is their best player. Yep. And, you know, and part of the reason why, you know, Embiid was able to win the scoring title as the first center to do so in 20 years is because he has the ability to, you know, get the ball more than, you know, most traditional centers do. And they've kind of, by being 
everyone watched James, they've sort of they've they've taken that away from him a little bit, and so that's kind of hurt him the second half of the season. And then Giannis is playing perhaps um, I don't know, like I don't want to be get carried away, but among the best stretches of his career mm-hmm. over the last six weeks to to sort of make up that ground. So that's where I'm at. Um, like Jokic, I want to take you know, I feel like we are. Um, this is something that that Ben Taylor has been harping on for a while, and I think that we are not fully accepting the greatness of Nikola Jokic as as a basketball player. Like he, th- these are two like we came into this season like saying, okay, well, yeah, Denver will be okay, but they're missing their guys, and Jokic is gonna he's gonna take a step back because he can't be as good as he was last year because he's and he's been better, and he's just, just you know. He is he's on the very short list for best player in the game. Like he's I know I, I I I do my tiers and there's three people on that list. It's Nikola Jokic, Kevin Durant, and Giannis Antetokounmpo. And like and that's the you know and he's backed up last season with another like superb season where he's been better defensive. Like he's not he's of the three he is the worst defender, but it's not like a chasm at least between him and Embiid. Giannis is a different kind of beast in that area, but I don't think Giannis has been as good defensively as he has been in the past. Some of that's circumstantial, which we'll probably get to when we talk about defensive player of the year. Um, But um, I'm trying to decide whether to go on my, my innumeracy rant or not now about Jokic. So maybe I'll keep that one in the bag for, for a moment, but it's just, it's the, the discussion about him has been, has been like, Hmm. It's been awful, and it's it's just a uh, a, a smorgasbord of mo- motivated reasoning and bad faith argumentation. And stop it! <laughs> you know better than that. You know who you are. Um, anyway, that's MVP. Do you like? No, we're good. In, in, uh, let's okay. move on to to teams. Um, for, so we can start with. Well, do you want to? I mean, do you want a rookie of the year? Do, do you care? Um, I mean, we can go through it. <laughs> I don't. Yeah. I don't really care. Um, I would go Mobley, yeah. Barnes, Cunningham. At least that's where I am. Do you want to try to talk me out of that? No, I think that I think that's right. Um, I do think I think I think that it's I think it's probably um, uh, you know after Jared Allen went down, we kind of I did think we did see the degree to which being next to Jared Allen was uh, allowing Mobley to kind of live his best life for sure. And I think you know I think that uh, you know it's it's a on a lesser level. But it's a little bit like you know Giannis not having having um, Brooke, yeah. Brooke next to him all year, and the benefit that Jaron Jackson got being next to Stephen Adams all year for sure. Um, so, but yeah, um, it was it was interesting. I had I uh, about two weeks ago I had uh, Kelsey Russo and Blake Murphy on uh, to, to, to shockingly um, respectful. Shockingly respectful about the not about which one of them should win. The well, I mean, Blake's year. Canadian and Kelsey's just like a sweetheart, so yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, it's true. Um, but it, but they were both like like it, it, they didn't have to think hard. Both of them said like, "Hey, the the guy who has the, the of this rookie class who has the, the 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 biggest upside is still Cade," which I thought was was not something that you probably would have said two months ago. But yeah, I no, Cade, think Cade's I, looked great. I, yeah, I mean. I think he's going to be okay. I think uh, I think the, the lesson here is uh, don't read too much into the first month of a rookie who misses training camp. Uh, yes. Okay. Let's knock out coach of the year while we're here. Yeah. Um, yes. Monty Williams, Spo, Ty Lue. Um Do you have a problem with no love for, first? No love for Taylor. 
So I my just outside shortlist is JB Bickerstaff, Taylor Jenkins, and Michael Malone. Um, okay, but Monty, Eric Spolstra, and Tyloo. And admittedly, as I've discussed with this with with people, um, this is at least me partially not having a, a vote last year because I would have voted Monty last year, um, and. Maybe that's like not fair or fair. I don't know, but I just think what the Suns are—they're they're machine and they've gotten better, and everyone on the team's gotten better. Um, they survived a Chris Paul injury. Like I—I I don't know. I just think they're very well coached, and I think Monty deserves credit for that. Um, so I still have him there, but I—I I, I don't know that I'm—I'm uh, I'm all the way fully entrenched on this. What do you got? Uh, I mean, I think that's, you know, I think Spo and Ty Lu are the two best coaches in the league. So starting with them at, on, on your ballot isn't, isn't, isn't a bad spot. I do think that, that you know, the job that, that Ty has done, you know, getting the, you know, getting the most out of this Clippers team has been pretty good. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. Um, Spo's an interesting one. Um, like, they, the, the Heat have the best record in the East, but I still, like... I think hmm, as a playoff team, I kind of think less of them than I do at the start of the year. Does that make sense? Mm, okay. And I don't know. I don't know how that. What bearing that has on coach of the year? But yeah, I mean, it's yeah. it, like it's it's laudable to get stuff done, relying so much on like your Gabe Vincents and your Max Trucians and your Caleb Martins. It is. But having to do that. Like, Caleb Martin could be a playoff dude. Like, he's, he he's, has that sort of, you know, we've talked about this before, like the live-bodied 6'5 mm-hmm. wing. Like, that's, those tend to be playoff dudes. Yeah. But, like, that's still, like, there's, there's just almost a smoke and mirrors thing. I don't know, maybe that's a vote for Coach of the Year, but it's like then you're getting to, like, Coach of the Year in terms of a guy who then, like, Coach of the year, whose then team gets dismissed quickly in the playoffs. Yeah, that's that's fair. Um, so, what would your what would your three be? Um, I think, hmm, I think I'd, I'd have Monty first, Taylor Jenkins two, Tyloo three. I think that's where okay. I think that's I th- where I'd be. And I, I, again, I will admit, um, I do think there is a first voter bias coming out of me because I think Spoh's the best coach in the league. I've thought this for a while. Um, and it feels like I need to have him in my top three. Like, if I am Eric Name and I believe the things that I believe, Eric Spolstra has to be one of the three best coaches in the league. And maybe that's like... Yeah, I mean, Coach of the Year is, is such a weird award anyway. It's sort of, it's like... right. You know, um, you know, half the coaches in the league should be up for it because half of the teams outperform expectations. So, right. You know, it's, it's sort of um, which obviously that that's that's a silly heuristic to go about. So, let's do teams. Uh, okay, that works. Um, let's go defensive player of the year and then finish out on first, second, and third team All NBA. Does that sound good to you? Sure. Yeah. <sighs> okay. So I'm I'm going to start here. Defensive player of the year. I am considering five players. I'm considering Bam Adebayo. Okay. Rudy Gobert. Okay. Giannis Adetokounmpo. Okay. Marcus Smart. 
in Jaron Jackson okay. Jr. Okay. So what I'm trying to figure out is I think can I, can I ask for can I ask why Marcus Smart and not Robert Williams based on your your earlier comments? Injuries. Okay. Like I I think the injury but, at the end for Robert I, I would have to check the game is played. Maybe that's a compelling argument. Maybe it should be Robert Williams Jr. instead. Or Robert Williams instead. I don't know. Um that's, I mean, how many games know, has Bam played versus how many has uh, that's that's sort of you're getting to that's probably the better weird, question, uh, for sure. Yeah, you're getting into like a weird sequencing thing in that, like, well, his injury happened at the end of the year, so I mean, Robert yeah, Williams I mean, I played Robert, 61. Ro- ga- yeah, played 61 games this year. Bam Adebayo played 56. So, oh man, then I guess I just have to disqualify both Celtics. <laughs> I know it hurts you. It pains you to do so. Um, no, I, so I guess for, for me, I do think Marcus Smart has been very good. Um, I just, I'm like not there on him being the, like the reason behind their defense getting great as the season went on. Like to me, that was more Robert Williams. Uh, so their defense, so their defense was good all season, and then it got better. But why their season turned around when their offense got better? So I think their like their defense was always very good, and especially right. once they, like the bigger factor in their defense getting great was like not playing Dennis Schroeder and Dennis <laughs> anymore. Like you know, yeah, that helps. tends to help. Yeah. Like. You know, it's not the like worst you, idea. You, you, t- you take those guys out, and Derek White, who's also a superb defensive player, now yeah. you're playing. You know, you have a seven man. You, you go seven and a half deep, and six, six of the seven are you know, 80th percentile or above defenders. Like you're going to have a pretty. Good you defense. know what? Now, now you're convinced me even more that I should that I shouldn't include a Celtic in my top three. <laughs> Cause Cause that, because it, because like it's, it's, it's just the, like they're they're all good. Yeah, like they're just all good. Like I don't know if there's like so a standout here, guy there, which maybe means this award's like kind of fucked up, right? Where like all I yeah. can think is like this guy is the system, so he has to be the guy, which is why you know it would make sense that I would put Rudy Gobert in yeah. my top three still because like yeah, the Jazz haven't been as good, but the reason that they are any good is because of that guy. Um, and so, but I would say, but this is, I think you're selling Marcus Smart a little short in that. Okay. And this is, this is how I ended up with him on my, had I a hypothetical valid, he would have, and not just because he bullied me on Twitter. Uh, <laughs> um, that certainly had which, something to do with it. You know, I mean, it, it, was, it was mostly funny. It was also, it was also it like, was, it was well played by him. It was uh, for those who don't know, like, like I, I, six weeks ago, I was like, you know, we end up, this defensive player of the year is so weird. We might end up with something, someone like Marcus Smart or Mikhail Bridges as defensive player of the year. And that just doesn't feel right. And he tweeted back like, well, according to rule 47B, a guard can't win defensive player of the year unless his, <laughs> his initials are GP. It's like, okay, right. Fair, it's a fair point, Marcus. But like, but like their, their defense, like they don't give up good shots because they just switch and guard and having, you know, you can do switching and guys can get away with it and you can, okay, he can hold up okay if you get switched onto a bigger guy. Like, is there another point guard in the league who, if he gets switched onto all but the very best post players, is still an advantage defender when he gets switched onto a bigger player? And that, to me, 
like makes the system as much as anything else because you just freely switch your smallest guy onto maybe the second, but for most teams, the biggest guy in the opposition, and you still feel great about all five matchups you have. Right. And that's, I think that unlocks something that is unusual and, you know, for the way the Celtics play defense, unlocks the system just as much as, like, a great drop defender does for the, you know, the traditional center, who rim-protecting center who wins the award. And in a season where none of those guys have been as good as they have been in the past. That's, that's, that's how I got to Marcus Smart. So you not only have Marcus Smart in your top three, you have him as the guy. I mean, as of, I, I mean, I don't have a ballot, so I kind of stopped looking at it after I wrote the article about it. But as of that point, that's, you know, that's, and I, I think I wrote, I think I wrote that like right before Robert Williams got injured. So like, oops. Uh, but, but yeah, no, I think that's, that was my argument at the time. And I don't know where I'd go with it if I had to today, but he would certainly be in my, he would be on my ballot had I won. I'm not sure if he'd be one, two, three, or whatever. Hmm. That's interesting. Um, but this is, we're not talking about mine. We're talking about your actual ballot. So. Yeah, no, I understand that. Um, but again, like I've really struggled with defensive player of the year because I feel like those guys just like aren't as like the I am the system guys like aren't quite as good um, this year. And I mean, I mean, you look it, at you look at it, and the Bucks and Jazz were middling defensive teams this year. Yeah, for sure. And and that's I mean, I, th- that, I think you know, the fact that they were like helps prove that like. Giannis is a great defender, um, but, like, Brooke Lopez is also a great defender, um, which, like, the other year when he got Defensive Player of the Year, like, is totally fine that he did, but, you know, maybe it should have just been Giannis in Brooke and did he do it with blood? Yeah, he would have done it with blood. Um, you know, Giannis, Brooke, and blood, blood, I think, yeah. All should have been all defensive team members and that's like the team award like across the board so i don't know it's i have something to do if whether or not i want to move marcus smart in i think if i do i think i still like bam over the top of him um i think bam has been in isolation a lot bam has gone up and down the scale a lot um i think in many of the same ways that you're talking about like oh yeah you know marcus smart can handle like the big dude i think bam can keep the guard in front um, and the Heat have asked him to do it a lot. I can't remember Cooper Moorhead's stat. I think it's what, like 30% of possessions he's had to have like a guard um, on switches or something. It's something crazy. Um, sorry that I mutilated your stat, Cooper. Um, but I think I would probably go Bam, then Marcus, then Ruby. Okay. I think. Why, why not Jaron Jackson? <sighs> so I think... This is this is this is devil, devil's advocate rather than than yeah you know, no so I think I think those other three guys um, man that's tough so smart is obviously like the outlier for me where I think like that's like a kind of team concept um, obviously the heat team concept is always going to be great but I think Bam and Rudy are. I think Bam, Marcus, and Rudy are all spectacular individually. Um, 
I think Bam and Rudy are more like the base of their defenses, and then Marcus is the guy that I'm willing to sneak in is not like the guy. Because like, it feels like Jaron Jackson Jr., as you said uh, earlier, is like he's benefiting from Brooke being in in Memphis, and his Brooke is Steven Adams, um, where he gets to like roam around and do all of the the cool shit, right? Like, that's kind of what Giannis has gotten to do over the years. Um, maybe I should reward it more. I don't know. But yeah. if if I take that out said, both... I will say, though, that when they flip the switch and decide, okay, we're closing with Jaron at the five, like, there have been some games this year where, like, he just, he just envelops the rim. Um, there's one particular where it seemed like he had 12 blocks in the fourth quarter against the Knicks. Now it's the Knicks. So, sure. you know... A lot I mean, of, against, a lot of like against the Bucks, I couldn't take my eyes off lefties, him. But yeah, no, I couldn't take my eyes off him when the Bucks played in Memphis earlier this year. Like it was just like Jaron Jackson Jr. is just just disrupting everything. Like he just causes so much chaos. Um, he's very impressive. I, I honestly, I don't think I'm any closer to figuring out my defensive player <laughs> of the year ballot than I was when we got here. Well, good. I'm glad I helped. Uh, let's let's. You want to quickly rip through uh, all NBA teams, or yep, or I'd love that... to. Nope, let's okay. do it. Um, so, first of all, the Jokic Embiid fudging the lineups. I won't participate in it. It. <sighs> the, I think it's you. ridiculous. Um, the historical record will be just fine. If anyone tries to figure out, oh my gosh, why was Joel Embiid second team All NBA when he had this great season? All they have to do is look at the MVP award. Just move your eyes one spot. Figure out the MVP award and say, oh, he played the same position as that guy. It's happened before. It will happen again. Is that the same same reason why the the argument that, oh, the Sixers are much better. They had home court advantage in the players. Like, yeah, they won three more games than Denver. Like, right. Congratulations. It's It's a massively better season. Good good job not playing in a conference with Phoenix. Basically, Philly. <laughs> yeah, no, I have I have no idea why we've just de- this is the year where we've decided that, and I shouldn't say we. The league has decided like, oh, we got to make sure it's fair for these guys. I don't care. One's like they're both centers. There's no way to fudge it. There's no like, oh, well, he played thirty percent of his time at center. No, these two dudes are both centers, through and through. There's no debates. There's no conversation. Nothing else. They're both centers. Um, so Jokic will be first team, and Bede will be second team. All right, first team, Jokic, Giannis, Jason Tatum, Devin Booker, Luka Doncic. Wow. Second team, Joel Embiid, LeBron James, Kevin Durant, John Morant, Chris Paul. Third team, I'm not sure on center yet, Jimmy Butler, DeMar DeRozan, Steph Curry, Trey Young. Uh, The debate at center is Rudy Gobert or Cat. I think I'm leaning Cat. Uh it's fair enough. I am like the two that surprised me were Tatum and Booker first team. Okay. Like, what, who they, do you want me they, to put as the forward on the first team? That's a, that's a fair question. Actually. I like, yeah, I don't know. Now, now, I, now that I brought that up, I don't know. Cause you, cause be. I don't think you, I don't think you can put LeBron or Kevin Durant. I mm, KD maybe, but he probably hasn't played enough. And believe... also, like the fact that, good. Yeah, I think that's right. 
Um, Booker Tatum, over over Tatum's Morant played seventy six games. Seventy six yeah, right. games. You're right. You're right. I, I just can't. Like he's played too much in. I don't even know what the Durant number is now. Like sixty yeah. maybe. Like seventy six. I, I can't. Yeah. Seventy six to fifty five. Like, no. Yeah. Can't do it. We 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 talked earlier about like like um, Giannis taking a step forward, kind of as a game controller. Um, second half of the year, Tatum has done has offensively done after sure. after being a lot of doing a lot of like catching and holding the ball. Um, he's now he's been he's been second half of the season he's been dealing. Uh, like, just like I texted you many times about the Bucks defensive rating. We've texted many times about me not being ready to believe the Jason Tatum hype and you being like, no, dude, it's pretty real. Like, watch the Celtics some more. It's pretty real. And then every time I would do it, like two weeks later, I'd be like, oh, I guess you're right. Oh, I guess you're right. Oh, I guess you're right. And here we are. Like, it was just real. Like, Jason Tatum was fantastic. Not, I mean, not totally by default, but the fact that, like, the, the competition is sort of disqualified due to lack of playing time. Yes. So the, the other the one sure. is, is, is Booker over either Paul or um, Morant. Yeah, so I've, I think that's probably the one I have even the most questions within myself on. Um, but to me, it was important that when Chris Paul went out the Suns didn't fade and Devin Booker stepped into, you know, like a really nice role and continued to, you know, keep the Suns churning, which they're a very good basketball yeah. team. You no, I, I, give like, it does seem like that's things. Sorry. It does seem like there's a little bit of a recency because that's sort of been the case. Like every, all the Suns relevant players have missed time this year and they haven't missed a beat sure. when anyone did. And just, it just so happened that, that the latest was Last Chris Paul. Yeah, sure. so like I don't hate it. It's just uh, yeah. I think I think it's probably again uh, sixty-eight games for Booker to fifty-seven yeah, for Moran. Right. Um, that that made me push him down, and then Chris Paul. I think uh, his his volume statistics. I think will always be difficult. I guess his statistics in general just always be difficult to quantify in a way that makes me feel very good about like Chris Paul first team All NBA. Well, the, the um, Suns are the Suns are like, second in the league in turnovers turnover percentage against and second in the league in, in lowest turnover percentage for. That's a Chris Paul stat. It is. It, it absolutely is. Um, like Bismack yeah, Biombo and Javale McGee are productive NBA players in in twenty twenty two. I've seen it. That's, that's I've that, seen it, which, is, which Paul, is why Chris Paul's on my second team. Yeah. That's why he's on my second team. I know, so, uh, but it's, it, these are. I mean, yes, like Chris Paul is 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 you know, the, it's like evaluating Chris Paul stats is like you know doing tasting notes on a on a fine wine. <laughs> <laughs> it's not. It's not right. a you know. Yeah. It's not a big bold. Well, this smacks you in the face. It's like well, there's subtle notes of mint and you know. <laughs> Yes, yes. No, that's absolutely uh, accurate. Which is why, like, I've seen some people put Chris Paul on, like, third team. And, no. Like, he's a, a, to me, he's he's a second team guy. Like, uh, when when year. he got hurt, I had him second on my hypothetical MVP ballot. That's that's how much I thought of... of, of... He, he, was four, he was four on my MVP ballot at that point. Yeah. Um, does second team feel a little high for LeBron? 
Oh, I went back and forth on that one. I just, I just don't think I feel comfortable enough with the other forwards. Like I, this is a strangely somewhat weak batch of forwards um, this year. Would you? How would you uh, feel maybe, about like, maybe maybe DeRozan's Bama, better? Could you? Would you feel like calling Bam yeah. a forward then sliding some? Like I don't know. Maybe you could. Um, I don't. I'll be honest. I don't feel great about that. Yeah. Um, because I mean, you know, I'm, LeBron's LeBron's like individual numbers are great, but I would say about a month ago, there uh, like, let's just say that that became a focus uh, over and above. Sure did. Yeah, for sure. Making the play in. Um, yeah. No, I would agree with that. Um, like he's but thirty eight like, and six is still yeah. like, dang. I think he was probably the league leader in in quack twos. Um, <laughs> oh no! Oh, he got he he would always make sure to throw a couple extra on at the end. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. Like this, down ten, let yeah. me get a couple layups. Yeah, this 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 bucket like like okay, shoot, taking this shot like reduces our win probability to zero. But I got my but two points mark him up. Um, that was that was <laughs> yeah, there, yeah. there was some of that. Um, uh, I don't. I don't hate the question. I still just don't think I like Jimmy Butler, Demar Derozan enough to put them as as my second teamer. Yeah, that's fair. No, it, it is interesting that it is that. Not you put it out. It has been sort of a weaker year. I mean, you, you know, Paul George missed a ton of time. Kawhi didn't play all year. Yep. Uh, Durant missed a ton of time. Like that's, you yep. know, that's three of the best five forwards in the NBA, give or take. And also to be clear, like LeBron James and Kevin Durant are two of the greatest forwards of all time. So it's not like second yeah. team is like really hurting. But as far as like this year, yeah, um, and like the performance that they've had this year, yeah. I would say like a little bit weaker. No, on, on, a, on, a per, um, on a per minute basis, like KD has been one of the, the five best players in the league this year. Yeah. Just like yep. the per is, is there's, there's, there's not as many purs to go around. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, okay, third team. What do you what do you think at that center spot? Uh, you you mentioned Bam as someone I might try to sneak on as a forward. So, do you think I should be thinking about Bam mm-hmm. over Cat or so Gobert? Cat's been so good. Yeah, that's where I'm at too. Yeah. Um, oh, that was you know that actually you know that was a name that we we probably should have talked about more for Coach of the Year, actually. Uh, Chris, Chris, Finch? Chris Finch. Yeah. Okay. I think that's yeah no that's fair. I mean so he, so here's um, I had John Krasinski on uh, uh, last week two weeks ago I don't know just and, the best dude yeah and but this came up there is you know and I didn't name names when I was drawing the comparison but I'll, like it was like all right imagine giving Jared Vanderbilt to Doc Rivers and thinking thinking how deep he would get buried in the bench <laughs> yeah. And uh, but yeah. then you have like a coach with some some sort of creativity and some ability to fit different players together based on the skills that they have, not the ones that you wish they have. And that to me is coaching at the NBA level. Like, OK, you know, other other levels, you can kind of go get the players you want and mold them and blah, blah, blah. At the NBA level, it's OK. These are the guys we got. Rosters are somewhat sticky. How do I make this group work? And it really seems right. like, you know, turning that group of players, you know, with bookended by Carl Anthony Towns and D'Angelo Russell into a good defensive team. Like, yeah. No, that's a good point. I, yeah. I mean, I, I feel a little bit bad because I have 
more receiving votes guys than I do than I have for top three <laughs> of my coach of the year ballot. Uh, but that that's awesome. I mean, that I, speaks you know, well I for would, the league, I would, right? Like, like that would, we have that many coaches. He might he might actually now that we've talked through this and I feel bad not having thought of it sooner. Like he might be all the way up to two on my coach of the year ballot. Ooh, yeah. interesting. Had I won, sorry, you don't get votes for me because I don't sure. have a ballot. Um, yeah. So I don't know. I think I think I'd be fine with 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 Cat there. Um, I, I think I'm sort of bad. I'm I'm sort of I'm also sort of okay with like quote unquote penalizing guys for being like below their usual standards for whatever reason. And like Rudy's been good this year, but he's he hasn't been not awesome. Yeah. He, for, I mean, there's there's a lot going on there, and we don't need to relitigate <laughs> what was our trash fire of a group text last night. Discussing, <laughs> discussing Rudy Gobert and the Jazz, but we do yeah, not. It's uh, yeah. Um, wow, this has gone on um, about twenty minutes longer than I planned for it to. But uh, I think weird, we covered some weird. Big that here. never happens when we talk. Yeah, I know. That never I happens know, when we I talk. Seth. First time. Ever. But uh, so you know, thanks for thanks for coming on and, and talking through your ballot with me. Won't hold you to any of these when the uh, actual ballots come out. So there's a disclaimer that we're just talking here. Eric hasn't submitted uh, anything. That's so. That's totally fine because I am now 20 minutes late to a phone call with our good friend Fred Katz uh, about my ballot and what I should do with it. Okay. So, um, well, that's not getting recorded anywhere. Like, we're just going to yell at each other about it because <laughs> Fred's enough. like the only one, Fred's the only one like crazy enough to like actually care and be like, yeah, let's make sure you get this thing right. So, shout out to Fred. Good times. Well, thanks for coming on and thanks for taking the time away from Fred. Um, Folks, thanks thanks for listening. I will be back tomorrow with uh, to preview the plan, among other things, with uh, Mike Prada. Uh, also, we're going to talk about his forthcoming book, uh, which I'm very excited about. Um, so talk to you all again tomorrow, and thanks a lot for listening. Take care.